we have a, as a church have been going through a series on the Apostles' Creed, and we've been working our way through the Apostles' Creed, which is a creed that the church has been saying for over 2,000 years about this is what Christians believe. This is the Christian faith. And so today we are going to look at, on the third day, he rose again. But let's stand together and let's just say out loud and, and confess the creed. When it gets to the part where it says Catholic, Holy Catholic Church, that Catholic is the word for universal, so we believe in the Holy Universal Church. Let's say together the, the creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a great passage about resurrection. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 8, and then verses 12 through 20. It says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. And though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity this morning to worship you and to celebrate the resurrection, the fact that you did come back from the grave, that you conquered sin for us. So Holy Spirit, I pray now that you just speak through your word, encourage us, and help us to rejoice in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Easter is about the resurrection. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, he wants to remind these people, this is what 
It is. It's, it's, it's about, this is the gospel. This is what it is to be reminded that on the third day, he rose again, as the creed says. Christians have believed this for centuries. But today's society, not everybody believes this. Not even, everybody even knows that Easter is ju- about the resurrection. They did a survey a couple years ago and said only a minority of adults in America link Easter to the Christian faith. In, the, in this study, all of only 42% of Americans said that the meaning of Easter was the resurrection. If you're here this morning and you don't know that Easter is the resurrection, it is. That may not be your fault. I think part of that fault is the church's fault, that we have not made Easter about what it is, about resurrection. I love how the comedian Jim Gaffigan points this out. And he says, Easter? That's a weird tradition. Easter, the day that Jesus rose from the dead? What should we do? How about eggs? And well, what does that have to do with Jesus? All right, we'll hide them. And I don't follow the logic. Don't worry, there's a bunny in it. And there's no sense in this. But he's right. We've made Easter everything about about the resurrection, the essence of Easter. What we are here celebrating today is the, the resurrection. This is the essence of Easter, that God created you to be in a relationship with him. Our sin severed that relationship. God did the loving initiative to redeem us back to himself by becoming like us. Jesus was God in human flesh. And Jesus lived a life we could not and would not live left to ourselves. And he died on the cross willingly for the purpose of paying the payment for our sin. Then on the third day, on Easter, Jesus rose from the dead, conquering death, sin, and Satan. And he lives today. Jesus Christ is alive. And he did that out of his great love for us. That's the essence of Easter. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And everything I just said there, there was probably four responses from you this morning. Some of you said, yes, that's what I believe. That's what I hold on to. And some of you said, yeah, big deal. And some of you said, yes, I believe that. But what that's a lot. What does God require of me now? And some of you may have said, yeah, I just don't believe it at all. The thing with Easter and the resurrection, everything in Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection. Paul just said that. If the resurrection is not true, then we are wasting our time. And I am wasting my life. It's the central thing to Christianity. It's essential. If the resurrection is not true, Christianity is not true. So this morning, I just want to encourage us, whatever answer you gave when you heard the essence of it, if you thought it or you didn't think it, you're living one of those four answers out in your life, Ultimately, the question that has to be answered, is the creed true? Is scripture true? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? So I just want to give you some evidences. Some evidences that Jesus rose from the dead. If he rose from the dead, it changes everything. If he didn't, and if there's some proofs that show that he didn't, then it doesn't matter. But Jesus did rise from the dead. One of the biggest evidences of 
the resurrection is the fact that there is an empty tomb. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians. This is what he passed out. Jesus died. He was crucified on a cross by professional killers who knew how to crucify him and beat him. And he bled and he died. And they put him in the tomb, it says in 1 Corinthians 15. He died. And he rose again. And we might think, you know, well, hey, resurrection, that was just part of their culture back there. That's how they would have understood things. You know, it was just the way it was. Paul says, this is what I delivered to you as of first importance, verse 3, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried in a tomb. They put him on a real tomb and that he rose again. Back in that culture back there was the Greeks and the Jews. And they're different cultures. And they did not think about resurrection. They thought resurrection was just as hard to believe as it is for us to believe that resurrection was real. For a Greek, a Greek person would have had nothing to do with resurrection. They thought resurrection was foolishness because they thought the body was bad and that the spirit was good. What they longed for, if you were a Greek person, what you longed for was to get rid of your body so your spirit could be free. So these people walking around saying, hey, Jesus rose from the dead, they would not care. They would think that's a bad thing. Because the whole point of their life was to get rid of the body so we could be freed from our spirits. The Greeks weren't looking for a resurrection. They would have thought it was ridiculous. And the Jews, even Jesus' disciples, the Jewish faith, they believed that there would be a resurrection someday, that they believed that that resurrection would take place at the end of time. And the way that they would know that the resurrection would take place at the end of time was everything would be different. There wouldn't be any pain. There wouldn't be any sorrow. So when the church came in, when the the disciples came in, says Jesus is alive, the tomb is empty, the Jews would have said, are you kidding me? We are still under oppression from Rome. Nothing's changed here. We believe in a resurrection when that resurrection comes at the end of time, it's going to free us from all this. This isn't the resurrection that was from the Messiah. This isn't what we've been looking for. Your Jesus died, and he was put in a tomb. But the problem with that is the tomb was empty. The tomb was absolutely empty. They could go to the tomb, and Paul says when he wrote this, he says, hey, some of you, you saw this, and they've seen this. The empty tomb would mean nothing if it wasn't for the fact of the eyewitnesses. The people actually saw Jesus come back to life in his real body. You say, well, how do you know that, Paul? This is just some scripture. Because it's in the Bible. You believe it just because it's in the Bible? Well, the Bible wasn't always one book. Think a little bit bigger sometimes than we have to think sometimes. Because the Bible was the collection of letters written all over the world, spread out by different people. And you think, well, the Gospels were first. The Gospels were actually written after Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians, and he would have written this maybe 15 years after Jesus died. And he's saying this in verse 3, For I deliver to you as of first importance. This is what he's been passed on. This has been what's been talked about by Christianity. I deliver to you what I received, that Christ died for our sins, and he rose again, and he was seen. And Paul says he was seen by some of you, most of whom are still alive. You can go talk to them. You can see them. The empty tomb and the fact that there were eyewitnesses are proofs and some solid proofs that were written in letters all around the society and different people, historical proof of them. And then they took all those letters, they put leather around them, they put them in the Bible. 
It wasn't all written at once. It was all separate letters describing the same exact event that the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. People have seen him. Jesus is alive. That's two evidences, the empty tomb, the eyewitnesses, and the early accounts. This all took place within a very short period of time. People say, ah, Jesus couldn't live risen from the dead. It's just a myth that was created over time. Myths like that take a long time to build steam and momentum. Paul wrote this 15 years after this take place, where people were saying, and people were still alive, if they wanted to disprove Christianity, if they wanted to say that Jesus wasn't alive, all you had to do was walk over to the tomb, pull out his body, say, what if it was decomposed? They would have still had to have proof that this was not Jesus. But the tomb had no body. The tomb was empty. Those are proofs. Those are hard clues. And then you have to explain. You say, I don't believe in the resurrection. Then you have to explain the explosion of the faith. Because in a very short period of time, the world was changed by this belief. People who did not believe in a resurrection and people who didn't even hope for a resurrection, didn't think being resurrected back into your body was a good thing, had a complete worldview changed. All of a sudden, people who thought one way one day, within a few days and a few moments, were thinking a completely different way, walking around, rejoicing over the power of a resurrection, somebody coming back to life. And Christianity spread, the gospel spread, and billions of people today are hearing the message of the resurrection, and some of them doing it at the cost of their life. If the resurrection isn't true, the explanation of why is this such a belief is going to have to be explained. The message changed these people's worldviews completely. People say, well, it was just a big hallucination. All these people that Paul wrote about that you could go talk about, they just had a big hallucination one time. Well, Lee Strobel, in his research to see, is the Jesus true? Is the resurrection true? He said this. He went to a psychologist friend of his and said, if 500 people claim to see Jesus, which the Bible says in different texts have said, historical texts have said, I want to, if, if 500 people claim to see Jesus after he died and it was just a hallucination, he said hallucinations are individual events. So if 500 people had the same hallucination, that's a bigger miracle than the resurrection. Jesus is alive. The tomb was empty. He rose from the dead. People saw him. They could touch him. They could see him. He ate food with them. He presented himself to them. The faith exploded. These people's minds were changed. They believed completely differently. That's some evidence just for you to take home and think about this week, if you don't believe. Those are some facts, historical facts that you have to dig with and deal with before you can pass off the resurrection as not being historically true. That Jesus did not rise from the dead, the only person in the history of the world who came back to life. And even if you don't believe the resurrection is true, you really should hope so. You really should hope it's true. Because it changes everything for you. It changes everything for our lives. N.T. Wright wrote this. The resurrection gives us hope. Hope is what you get when you suddenly realize that a different worldview is possible. A worldview in which the rich, the powerful, and the unscrupulous do not 
after all, have the last word. The same worldview shift which is demanded by the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the shift which will enable us to transform the world, to change things. If you don't believe the resurrection is true, deep down you really hope that it was true. All of us deeply hope that it was true. Even Paul says in the rest of 1 Corinthians 15 that we all believe in a resurrection. We see it in all kinds of things in nature. We, we hope it's true. You can have all the evidence in the world. You can have all the facts that I just gave you in the world, and that doesn't necessarily convince you that Jesus is who he says he is or what it means to you. How is the resurrection then relevant? That's what we really want to know. How is the resurrection of Jesus Christ really relevant to our lives? Why did Jesus rise from the dead? And what difference does it make for your life now? Jesus' resurrection shifted people's worldviews. But why did he die? Why is it such a big picture? That, that goes to the big picture of the Bible, which is that God created us for relationship with him. He's the creator-owner. And then we have all sinned, the Bible says. We've, we've not done what God demanded. He gave us the law. It says in Exodus, he, he gave the people, this is the law. These are the commands of God. He gave us the Ten Commandments. And then, he, and he summed, then Jesus himself summed them up in Matthew 22, and he said, love God with all your heart and with all your mind. This is true. This is, and love your neighbor as yourself. God gave us this law, and he says, this is what is demanded of you. This is good. The law, and you see the Ten Commandments, which I saw was on TV last night, uh, was at, on ABC with uh, Charlton Heston. The law is God's true statement of what is good, what God's will is. This, is. this is what is good. If you follow this, then you can have a relationship with me. If you've ever, if you've ever chosen selfishness one time, you've broken God's law. And so the law then becomes for us, this negative thing, because it shows us that we're not in relationship with God. It shows us that we are not in, we're not in right standing with God. We're not righteous before God. We're not following the way, the way God wanted us to follow. Something needed to be done. There's a problem. That's why this is relevant to your life. We live under the curse, the Bible says. It's this curse that this is what God said to do. We didn't do it. And so there's this curse. And the curse was sin and death and toil. You say, well, I don't really feel it that way. I, don't, I can go a whole week and not think of the Ten Commandments. I can go a whole week and not think about loving anybody but myself. But you still feel the curse of the law every day. You, you, you feel it every day by these, these judgments that you have on yourself. Or these expectations that you can't meet. Or the feeling that you don't measure up. That's all part of this curse. And we all feel this. We even put it out there for the world to see. And some of you have it in your homes. I was driving behind a car yesterday. I even have this in my house. And it says, live, love, laugh. Sometimes I feel like I know I'm going to die. I feel like crying. And I'm struggling not to hate somebody. And then you're telling me, live, love, laugh? That's law. That's oppressive to me. And I walk into my house, live, love, laugh. Oh, I don't feel like living. And I don't feel like laughing right now. And man, I think I ticked me off. We feel this. That's part of the curse. Some of you don't even know why you do things. Why do you choose what you do? You say, I don't know. And you're right. You don't know why you do what you do. 
That's part of the curse that we live under. We don't understand why we do things. Why is it when you stumble someplace and you're walking, you always look back to see what that rock just did to you? And then you look around to see if somebody else saw you. Why do we do that? Because we're not free. We live under this curse of judgment. Well, what if suddenly somebody walked? What, do you think I'm an idiot? I can't even walk down the street? What is that? Where does that come from? That comes from living under a curse that we feel. I even had Easter service, lunch, Resurrection Sunday, judgment one day. I went home from church a couple years ago. Instead of having ham, which apparently is the righteous way to eat lunch on Easter, we decided to have pizza from Casey's. So I went over to Casey's in Samanac, and look at you, all just judged me right there. I saw it. I felt the condemnation. I went over to, I went to Casey's to pick up my pizza. And I'm standing there just ordering my pizza on a nice Easter day. And this girl next to me, I don't even know her. I've never met her in my life. And she says to me, pizza on Easter? Like, I'm a pastor too. I don't know. I couldn't talk to her then. I was judged. Why would I even stop to worry about that? You know what that is? That is the law. That's living under the curse. We all feel it. And it's darkness to us. The Bible says it's spiritual darkness to us. Ernest Shackleton took a group of 28 men up to Antarctica, actually. Down there, they were going to try to pass it in the 1900s. They got stuck. Their ship got stuck. And miraculously, they survived. And it's in a movie and a book called Endurance. But what all their biographers said about the story was the worst part of their condition the worst thing about the whole event was that it was the polar darkness, the absolute abject darkness that is down in Antarctica. It was what drove them crazy, some of them. And it just will drive a man crazy, living in that type of deep, deep physical darkness. That alone is bad. That's law. That's crushing. But what's even worse than that, the Bible says? is spiritual darkness. Not being right with God. Being left on Friday of where our sins need to be paid for with no hope of resurrection, no hope of transformation, just being stuck in that condition. That's not the end, though. That's the relevance of your life is that we all live under this law that we can't shake. We, we feel judged. We're not sure if we're, we're doing a good job as parents and we try harder and our kids don't turn out and we try less and our kids don't turn out. We don't know what to do and we just feel this condemnation. We think there's this condemnation. It's pressure. It's law. It's the curse that needs to be removed from us because we're not in right standing with God. We're not living the way that God wanted us to live. And the Bible calls that sin. And without that sin removed, we will be separated from God forever. But the good news is we are all messed up, aren't we? We are all in a mess. We all feel that condemnation. I am a messed up individual. You are messed up, the Bible says. Paul himself, the guy who wrote this, he did not believe these Christians at first. He, he was trying to kill these Christians who believed in the resurrection. But in Romans chapter 8, he realized that, that this is true. And he was a guy who kept the law. The Bible says, Paul, he followed the law perfectly. He did everything he could do to try to be good, to try to meet God's standard. He tried, he worked at it, worked at it. But in Romans 8, he, at the end of it, when he saw the law of God, it was like a mirror to him. 
And you realize, I am not what I can be, and there's nothing I can do to overcome it. And the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I should do, I don't do. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am. For this Easter to mean anything to you, you have to get to the point of, oh, wretched man that I am, that my good deeds can't make me right with God. There's nothing that I can do. I'm living in darkness and I'm struggling and I'm fighting. I'm trying, I'm trying, but it doesn't seem to change. I need help. I'm wretched. Our world is filled with spiritual people trying to be spiritual. That's That's the in thing to do. And spirituality says, look within yourself to find the strength that you need. But if you're honest with yourself, when I look into myself, it's not very peaceful. I become more judgmental. Oh, you didn't do that right. Looking into me does not help me. The resurrection says that I needed to look out, and so do you. You need to look out and look up. We needed to help outside of ourselves, is what the gospel says. And Jesus is that help for us. If we are honest, we are all a mess, and we spend most of our lives trying to cover up that fact from other people. We want to hide that mess. We want to fight the law on our own, but the gospel says there's good news. Resurrection says there's good news. Jesus says there's good news. The resurrection says this, that Jesus came. He lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. And then he went to the cross and became our perfect substitute. substitute. He took your sin. That it was like Jesus himself was the one who sinned. And because of his death, He paid the penalty for sin, and he conquered death, Satan, and sin so that it could be removed, so that God can see you as righteous. The gospel says you don't have to hide from God. The gospel says we are a mess. The good news, that's the gospel. We need good news. The gospel says that God gives us grace. That God saw our condition. The resurrection says God saw you, where you were at, and he made the initiative to come to you. He entered into our world. And God says to us, because of the resurrection, hey, I know your mess. I see everything. I know you haven't been righteous before me. I know you haven't done everything the Ten Commandments says. I know you feel condemnation. I know you feel judgment. I know you give out condemnation. I know you give out judgment. I know your mess, and I love you anyway. I love you anyway. I loved you so much that I came in human form so that I could die for your sins, so that I could pay the penalty for you. I did all the work, the gospel says, so you don't have to do anything. I did it all for you. One of our boys, when he was two... We had a pet guinea pig, and it was a very big container that we had the guinea pig in, and we filled it with four or five inches full of stuff, and it was a rough day, I think at home one day, so it was nap time, so he went to bed, and Teresa went to bed for a nap, and she woke up to mess. He woke up earlier, before mom did, found the guinea pig, and we told him the law, don't play with Buster, keep away from Buster. He didn't follow the law, he broke the law. He went get the Buster's container. And he left Buster in the container, but he took all the stuff that S. Buster had been using and he sprayed it all over the living room. On, literally, on top of the couch, on top of the floor, everywhere. 
It was everywhere. And he's two and a half years old, and Teresa wakes up, and she comes out, and he's standing in the middle of his mess. And his eyes went, whoop. He was busted. And there was nothing that he could do about it. And what did he do? Did the little two and a half year old go and start picking it up himself? I'll pick it up, mommy. I'll clean it up. No. He didn't know how to clean it up. All he knew is he broke the law. But what did my wife do? She loved him. So she went to the mess. She cleaned up all the mess. And she put him down and she fed him and she took care of him and he's still alive today. (laughs) That's the gospel. That's what Jesus did for us. We don't have to do anything. The Bible says we need to become like little children, not ignorant. We're not to be ignorant. There is all kinds of historical evidences and proofs for the resurrection. You say, I don't believe it. Well, you haven't studied it very well. So keep studying. Search these things out and see if they aren't true. But to come into a right relationship with God, to be accepted by God, you say, I, I feel that tension in my life. I feel the, the sin. I, I know that I've sinned. I know that I'm probably not in a right relationship with God, but how do I get into a right relationship with God? How do I connect with Jesus so that my mess can get cleaned up, so I can be loved anyway and known anyway, and I don't have to hide anymore. I don't have to pretend anymore. I can just feel true love and acceptance. Well, you do what a little two-year-old does when he makes a mess. You just admit your dependence. My son kept looking at his mother to take care of him. Even in the midst of his mess, he looked to his mother. And God's our father. If you feel like you're in a mess, that you're not in right relationship with God, that your sin is crushing you and you don't even know why, the gospel says, I came to give you hope. Jesus loves you. He came to rescue you from that. All you need to do is turn to him, look to him, and see that Jesus paid the penalty for your sins on the cross and that he arose from the dead and accepted to be true. Ask him to forgive you, come into your life and rescue you. Look to Jesus. That's the gospel. When you look to Jesus, you'll be rescued. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. That's the gospel. Jesus did everything for you. We just need to look to Jesus, see that he took our sin on the cross, trust him, put our faith in him, and he will rescue us. You'll be in right relationship with him. He'll free you from the penalty of death sin and the grip of satan and you'll have transformed life you will have true hope here's the problem for some of us we believe the gospel we've been rescued we believe what paul says jesus rose from the dead we believe it but we don't believe it enough and if you're a follower of jesus and you're trusting him you need to daily remind yourself of the gospel we need to buy in to what we actually believe every day God loves us. We need to buy into that. And we can rejoice in that and rest in his grace. But there's some others where you need to stop trying to buy what God has offered you. You don't have to do anything. You need to stop buying, trying to buy what God has offered you and just receive it as a gift. You can't earn God's favor. He offers it to you as a free gift. And when you come to him, as a two-year-old child, as a two-year-old, 
dependent, looking to Jesus, trusting in him, because of the resurrection, he transforms your life. Because of the resurrection, there is hope. It's finished. Jesus is alive. And all he says is, accept me, rejoice in me, and rest in me. Do you know that hope? Have you come to Jesus that way? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone? He turns darkness into light. Jesus is alive. It's the power of the resurrection. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there? When they nailed him to a tree Were you there When they nailed him to a tree When he rose up from the dead.